All right, open our Bibles, open your Bibles or Bible apps to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, we're going to look at 12 verses. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. And while you're doing it, let me just give you sort of a previously at, at the rock in this passage. We are in, continuing in sort of the, the red light, green light Roman series. And we are in the end of chapter 2 where up to this point we've, we've engaged with Paul. We understand that he's written a letter to believers in the church in Rome. He hasn't met these Christians yet, but he is in in route to meet them. He's desiring to meet them. He explains his love for them. He explains sort of his his desire to glorify God in the mission of preaching the gospel about Jesus Christ. He talks about sort of sort of the world and why the world is given to particular sinfulness in a way that it's rejection of God. And then he moves into chapter two where he starts to specifically talk to the the church and, and is questioning to some degree, people's confidence, spiritual confidence. He's questioning whether or not people's confidence are rooted in something other than what it should be rooted in. Like, are you confident in your Christianity because, say, if you're a Jew, if you're Jewish, you were given the law by God, and he wants to talk about that in this message. But up to this point, he's talking about sort of this, this confidence that's really an arrogance that compares yourself where you you look at what other people do and you judge them and condemn them but you do the same things and this is a very common reality this isn't just common in Romans 1 this is a common reality today I jokingly talked about Facebook community church but you see this all the time. If you are on Facebook, you will see, as a matter of fact, one of the most, the most fascinating phenomenons to me is to watch Christians, believers, make Facebook videos and YouTube videos mocking other believers. Jesus is so pleased with that. But this is what you see. This is as soon as someone commits a particular sin, when, when Steph Curry cursed at the, at, after the, the, the end of the game of the, the Houston series, and then all these people were, oh, look at this dude. Somebody better tell him that the Christians don't. And, all. and it was just like, man, did you, did you fail that evening? Did you sin on Sunday? There's this idea, there's this, there's this reality that, like, what other people do, is way more significant than what I do. And so God is speaking directly to that, using Paul to influence this church. And so he, he begins to explain this in chapter 2 and, and to really make sure that they're not thinking this way. And then he talks about the distinction between those who honor the Lord and who go to heaven and those who do not honor the Lord and will receive judgment from God. And then he comes to this particular passage in Romans chapter 2. And I want to break this down into just two sections. Verses 17 through 24 will be our first section. And I, and I think this is asking a question. All right, so there are two realities I want us to consider. And the first is a question. And here's the question. Are you what you do? The question is, are you what you do? This is what he's, what he's asking them. Let's read Romans chapter 2. Beginning of verse 17. I'm reading from the CSB version, and I quote, This might be a good time. Put your phone on um, vibrate. If you have one of those weird ringtones, 
and it goes off, I will stare directly at you <laughs> during the message. We don't care. If you don't care, we don't care. If you don't look good, we don't look good. We take pride in you. Vidal Sassoon. Commercial from the 80s. Some of y'all don't know about that. All right, here we go. Verse 17. Reading verse 24. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law. And if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law, you then, who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Stop there for a moment. He's asking, are you what you do? Are you what you do? Now, this is a very self-explanatory passage, right? Like, I don't, I mean, there may be some phrases here that don't make sense because it's not what we do. Like, I don't know. I, I, I've been a pastor in this church now 10 years and never once have any of you sat down and said, bro, I just want to confess I robbed temples. So there are going to be phrases, right, that you can't relate to. You might say, man, I took a stapler at the job or something. I don't know. And, and I, I just, I, I wouldn't even, I'd just be like, hey, here's a couple pieces of paper. Can you staple it before you take it back? <laughs> so there are phrases in here that don't make sense. But for the most part, this is a self-explanatory passage. For the most part. Now, we'll get into it in just a moment. But for the most part, it's clear what he's getting at. It's clear what he's getting at because he's been laying this, this, this out since verse 1 of chapter 2. He's going after hypocrisy. He's going after hypocrisy. Are you a hypocrite? Are you a hypocrite? Now, he's not talking about do you struggle with sin. He's saying, are you a hypocrite? Do you willfully sin but then speak against it? So will you agree with what you hear, you'll agree with it when you sit in church, but then you're doing it later on in the evening, showing that you don't agree with it. He's talking about that. This is what he's getting at. So it's kind of self-explanatory, but there are some key words that we must pay attention to. And here's the reason why, because the way we read Scripture is different than the way they wrote Scripture. Let me explain why. We read scripture in bits and pieces. We take a couple verses at a time. And normally, depending on where you are, when I got trained to do homiletics and hermeneutics, preaching and interpretation of scripture, one of the main ways they teach you how to preach is come up with a main point and then three sub-supporting points. That's the standard for preaching. 
So for the first few years, I would be, here's the main idea, and then here's three ideas to support that idea. That was the way you were trained to teach. And people still do that. One, one day, though, it just became clear to me that I just don't believe that that's how they wrote the scriptures. I don't believe that when they were writing each section of scripture, they were thinking, here's the main point, and here's three subpoints. In fact, I don't think that they wrote scripture in sections. I think Paul sat down and with the spirit of God in him, he addressed them and wrote this letter. He knew where he was going. He knew where he was headed. So he's building up, making an argument. I don't think he sat down and wrote, all right, chapter one, good. Let me chill out for a little bit. A couple weeks later, all right, chapter two, what's the main point in three sub points? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. I'm just saying that's not the way God wrote Scripture. So we, we read Scripture differently than, than what they wrote it because Paul is explaining a very big picture and we're only looking at a portion of it. So we're going to look at the trailer of the movie, but to watch the whole movie, we have to read all of the chapter of the book of Romans. So you, can't, you can only look at a trailer and say, this looks like a good movie. And many of us have done that and have been disappointed. That's why you should get movie pass. Never mind. <laughs> there are some key words that we pay attention to because Scripture is different. We read it differently than they wrote it. Paul knows where he's going. He's building an argument verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And ultimately, the spoiler alert, here's ultimately what Paul wants to do. Paul, on behalf of God, wants everyone to know that their identity in Christ, their identity is in Jesus Christ. It's not in the law if you're a Jew. It's not in keeping the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament law. It's not in yourself. And if you're a Gentile, it's not in some false god, some pagan god. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your identity is in Jesus Christ. That's ultimately what he's after. But he has to break this down little by little and go at different aspects of this so people are like, oh, after watching the whole movie, the trailer makes sense. Or if you come into a movie and only catch the 13 minutes of it, you don't know what happened before, and you, can't, you don't know what happened after it. So you go back and you watch the whole movie, it's like, oh, now that makes sense. It makes sense. So this isn't the, the movie. This is a trailer. But here's what he's doing. You know, in the military... What they do is the reason why basic training, basic training is very difficult in the military, why they yell in your face and stuff. They scream in your face often because they're trying to destroy who you were when you came there so they can build you up and to be a soldier that is ready to maybe take a life. You know, most of the people that go to the military have never seen a dead body or anything like that. They're 18, 19, 20-year-old Kids who just joined the military for a variety of reasons. When my brother left to go to the Navy, he'd never been in any kind of trouble or anything. And now he has to go to basic training, learn how to shoot a gun, and maybe will have to kill someone to serve his country. So when they go there, they don't go in there and let you just be cool and be like, yeah, this is me. Like, it's not high school. They go in there and get in your face. They want you to get angry. They want you to talk back. So they can break you down, destroy who you are, so they can build you back up to who you need to be to be a soldier. 
Well, the Bible is very, very similar. What Paul is doing is he is destroying certain aspects of what they think to build them back up until their real identity. So these 12 verses we'll look at today, particularly these first seven, Paul is destroying what it means to be a Jew. He's destroying what they think it means to be a Jew so that he can build them back up. And so what does it really mean to be a Jew in God's sight? It's not just ethnicity. It's more than just ethnicity. And we'll see that in just this moment. So Paul's going to use this sort of, uh, he uses this method. Now remember, here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He says this, I always asking in my prayers that if somehow in God's will, I may at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Okay? So Paul's never been to this church. He doesn't know these people. So when he starts addressing them like this, now if you yourself a Jew, Paul's not speaking from knowledge of the situation. This is sort of a philosophical sort of way to do things. It's kind of this idea, like in philosophy, what you would get is like Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. And, and if you read their works, what they would do is create these two characters who are discussing ideas of life. And what they're doing is speaking to what they think life is about and explaining their view of life by using these two, one or two false characters. So it's sort of speaking to a person that's not really there, but that may be there. This is what Paul's doing. He's not speaking to anyone in particular, but hypothetically speaking. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, making an assumption, this is sort of a philosophical idea, making an assumption that there are people in this church who are Jews that are doing the very thing that he's warning against. So now let's zoom in and see what he's talking about. What must we be concerned with? What phrase must we pay attention to? Look at verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, verse 18, and know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, stop there. There's a neon phrase here in this verse, in these two verses. And this is verse 17. Rely on the law. This is a neon phrase. Rely on the law. Rely on the law. Rely on the law. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law, this is what he's going to really go after. This is a significant reality for Jewish people, especially in this particular moment when he wrote this. And it would make sense. At one point in time, it would have made sense for a Jew to rely on the law and boast in God. Jewish people were chosen as God's people. They were given the law exclusively. So when God saved them out of Egypt, he chose them, he saved them out of Egypt, he gave them his law. Then this idea of circumcision, it dates back before them, which we'll look at later. They're the ones, the people who believe in God, they're the ones that get circumcised. There's a very exclusive relationship. So it would make total sense to be like, this is, we rely on the law. We're God's people. And then the greatest demonstration of that is Jesus Christ comes out of this ethnicity, out of the Jewish people, and he's the savior of the world. 
So at one point, it makes sense to rely on the law. But the issue here in this statement is concerning. It's concerning. Because the Jews, here was the problem that he's getting at. Here's why he wants to destroy what, it, what, they, what they think it means to be a Jew. The Jews were tempted to act like because God gave them the law, like the Ten Commandments and how to live. He gave them the law, not other people, just them. And they were exclusively his people. They were tempted to act like the knowledge that they have was the same thing as their obedience. They were tempted to think because they know how to live the truth, that that means they're living the truth. And so they're good because God chose us. We're God's people, so we're good. Kind of like people who were like, 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 like you ever heard it from me that once saved, always save? People used to always say that. I remember different times. What, what does that mean? I got a friend of mine who's a Catholic who got confirmed years ago. Hasn't used the letter C, A, T, or H in the rest of his life. But he would think he's a Catholic because he was confirmed some years ago. Like, so I'm good. I was confirmed like 25 years ago. Confirmed in what? There's this idea that because God gave us the law and we know it, we do it. It's kind of like for us, there's a difference. You guys realize there's a difference between confession and repentance, right? Confession is me, let me acknowledge that what I did was wrong. Repentance is let me not do it. There's a difference. There's even a difference in the Bible between feeling guilty. There's condemnation and conviction. Anyone can feel bad about something they did. But what you do after that reveals which one is it. Were you just condemned or were you convicted? So what the Jews were tempted to think was, we're God's people, we got the law, we're good. That's the same as keeping the law to them. And what Paul is trying to say is, no, it's not. No, it's not. Especially not now. You see, thinking that way produces arrogance. And arrogance always produces hypocrisy. The other major problem with relying on the law was that this letter is post-resurrection of Jesus Christ. This letter wasn't written before Jesus came. It was written after Jesus came. And now that Jesus has come, it's very clear that in order to really rely on the law, to trust the law, to trust that that law will make your standing before God right, to rely on the law now, after Jesus has come and gone, is clearly to do it perfectly. If you didn't know that before, now you know you have to keep this law perfectly. If you fail one time, one time, you're done. You can never again start again. So if you are relying on the law as a Jew, then already you are rejecting Jesus Christ. So he's trying to help them see this. And then he uses other phraseology. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, verse 17, and rely on the law and boast in God, this was arrogance and comparison. Then he explains a little bit more like what gives motive to boasting in God in verse 18. Because they know his will, they approve, so I agree of the things that are superior. 
God taught them how to live in a superior way. I agree with that. I agree with that. So you boast in God. I'm t- you can talk about who God is and what God's done. You approve. You know his will. You know what he said, how to live. You approve of the things that are superior because you've been instructed from the law. The Jews were tempted to think because of these things, my knowledge is the same as my obedience. And it's not the case. In verse 19, he raises the ante a bit. Because initially he's just talking about being Jewish. You call yourself a Jew and you know the law, all these things. But then he moves to those who would be teachers of the law. So he went from Jews instructed by the law to Jews who guide people by the law, who instruct from the law. And he says this in verse 19. And if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. So he's hitting everybody. So if you're a pastor, if you're in the pulpit, or you're in the pews, are you what you do? Are you what you do? You're not exempt. It's not just being a Jew. I, I always try to imagine how people were reacting when they read this stuff. So as they're reading this, I imagine those who are self-righteous and religious leaders like Pharisees are reading this and looking down at people like, yep. Look at y'all. You rely on the law. You boast in God. You be fake. I know what you do. I know how you do it. Yeah, I don't even know why you're here. I don't even know. Then he keeps going and it says, and if you are an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, now all them people are like, yeah, I know you. You see, Jews were meant to be guides of the Gentiles because Jews were the ones given the law. They were given how to glorify God. And this is important because we know this from last week, even in the book of Jonah. Right. That was I mean, you don't see that that often in the Old Testament. But that book, you see Jonah being commanded to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to them, to preach the truth to them. And they just said this city's going to shut down in 40 days. And if you want to, we, we talked about that last week. So they're supposed to be a light. A light to the world, to the non-Jewish world. So here, Paul In an attempt to help them understand what it means to be a Jew, he wants to destroy what they're thinking and build them up. He asks these rhetorical questions that get at the bigger question, are you what you do? And so he says this in verse 21. And by doing this, he's going to make them start questioning their answers. Because I imagine that many people would be confident, especially these guys, We're trained a little bit better, so we tend to have a lower view of ourselves. So we tend to be quicker to acknowledge our failures and to act like we don't really sin that much. We're a little bit better than that. We kind of do it on the other side of the pendulum. We can more come in with a low view of ourselves and think of ourselves in a way that that the Bible doesn't necessarily either. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible doesn't call you a sinner, doesn't tell you you need to repent. It calls you a son, saint, child, co-heir, sheep, royal priest, brother, a bunch of things. So we can come from the other side, but here he's speaking to those who think, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And I, we all know very, very confident Christians who are very self-righteous. And if not, just 
Follow some of the people I follow in Facebook Community Church. You will see a good bit of them. It is wonderfully, sadly fascinating. Daily. That church is open 24 hours a day. Here are the questions that he asks. You then, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Are you what you do? That's what he's asking them. Nope. No. Because here's what's really going on. When he says, you rely on the law, parenthetical statement, but you don't keep it perfectly. You boast in God. You talk about how good God is. But you don't listen to him. You know his will. Parenthetical statement, but you selectively obey it. You approve of the things that are superior, but you choose to live inferior. You are a guide to the blind, but you are blind yourself. You're an instructor who does not follow his own instructions. He's deconstructing, destroying what they think it means to be a Jew because just because having knowledge of God's law doesn't mean you obey it. Now let's transition from that to today. The length of time you've been a Christian does not make you mature. Maturity does not happen because you've known and gone to church for decades. That, that, that's not what maturity is, biblically speaking. You are not a mature Christian because you know scriptures or you had some theological training or you teach the Bible. That is not what is maturity, biblically speaking. There are a lot of people. I, I, I like to watch, I don't watch these I've watched these self-righteously, so let me just I'll say that right now. Whenever I see like these uh, history channel, archaeological, was the, was Jesus's tomb really, you know, when I, so I, sometimes I'll be like, all right, let me see what they're talking about. And so I, I approach these like, yeah, whatever. And so there's always, uh, it'll say like his name, you know, Earl Papuspus. Uh, <laughs> famed biblical scholar, you know. And then I'll listen to this dude talk, and you could tell within a matter of minutes, he doesn't believe the Bible at all. I thought, I'm thinking, when, when I hear biblical scholar, I immediately think faith is associated with that. Because how can you study the Bible and read the Bible? I'll never forget, 
the Book of Eli's Denzel Washington movie. I really liked the movie until the very end, to almost the very end. When it was clear that he memorized the whole Bible, and then he said, at the end, he said, well, you got to, you know, do good to others. That's what I got out of it. I want to lay hands on the people who wrote the script. Because how do you read the Bible and walk away from it thinking the message of the Bible is do good to others? Where's Jesus Christ in that? Where's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? You take out, yes, that's true, do good to others. But you can get that from a fortune cookie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had some Chinese last night, as a matter of fact. They treat others nicely and you will be rewarded. Oh, wh whoa. <laughs> Do good to others, man. The reality is you can know what the Bible says and not care about living it. So the question is, are you what you do? Yes, you do come to church. Yes, you do go to your D group sometimes. Yes, you do serve in certain ways. Yes, you do uh, participate in certain activities. Yes, you do come to certain events. Yes, you do do some of these things. But are you what you do, though? Am I what I do? Do I do the things I tell others to do? Now, this, is a, this doesn't mean do I sometimes struggle with certain areas or fall in certain areas. No, that's not what he's saying. Do I actively do the things that I can even verbally condemn in others? Or do I verbally agree with things when I hear them as if being taught is wrong, but then I do them as if they're not wrong? Do I condemn non-Christians for doing things that I myself struggle with? You know, one of the greatest failures, I believe, of the church in the 20th, 21st century is somehow we, we believed that we're supposed to judge people without faith and without the spirit as if they have faith and have the spirit. And so we would treat non-Christians, we act like they're supposed to be modest. They're supposed to be humble. They're supposed to be godly. They're supposed to respect Jesus Christ. They're supposed to be faithful. What are you talking about? First Corinthians 5, Paul said, look, do not associate with those who are sexually immoral, greedy, uh, liars, uh, all those names of these categories. Don't associate with these people. And he says, I do not mean the world because then you would have to be out of the world. I mean, do not associate with those who call themselves a brother and do these things. But somehow, we just started treating non-Christians that are supposed to be like Christians, and then we shun ourselves from them. Like, look at them. They're supposed to be like that. They're supposed to be like that. Because we're the ones that know God's law, that approve of the things that are superior, that boast in God, that rely on Jesus. So we're supposed to be the instructors, a guide to the blind, a light to these folks. And I would say the majority of the reason why we don't evangelize is because we've written off people who weren't with us in the first place. It's a fascinating 
reality. Jews were famous for being confident in their identity because of the law. And sadly, I think Christians do the same thing. A couple of days ago, Al Mohler, who is a heavyweight in Christendom, he's one of the few people that has a CNN studio in his home. He is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he is probably, and he's not just known in our circles, but he's known just throughout the world. He would be a juggernaut, if you will, in terms of how people perceive him to be. Serious guy. He wrote this last week on his blog. The title of the article, I'm not going to read it all, is called The Wrath of God Poured Out, The Humiliation of the Southern Baptist Convention. Remember who this is. This is the, the, he's the most significant Christian right now. And it's a, I'm not going to compare him, but this is, this is significant. And here's what he says in his article. The last few weeks have been excruciating for the Southern Baptist Convention and for the larger evangelical movement. It is as if bombs are dropping and God alone knows how many will fall and where they will land. America's largest evangelical denomination has been in the headlines a day, been in the headlines a day after day. The SBC is in the midst of its own horrifying hashtag MeToo moment. At one of our seminaries, controversy has centered on a president, now former president, whose sermon illustration from years ago included advice that a battered wife remained in the home and the marriage in hope, the, in hope of the conversion of her abusive husband. Other comments represented the objectification of a teenage girl. The issues only grew more urgent with the sense that the dated statements represented ongoing advice and counsel. So what he's saying is, this was the president of a seminary in a sermon talking about and demanding that women who were being physically battered and abused remain with their husbands in hopes of conversion and would make comments about underage girls in a sexual manner from the pulpit, he would do this. And it got exposed and blew up. And this is what some of the things he's referring to. He says, but the issues are far deeper and wider. Sexual misconduct is as old as sin, but the avalanche of sexual misconduct that has come to light in recent weeks is almost too much to bear. These grievous Revelations of sin have occurred in churches, in denominational ministries, and even in our seminaries. We thought this was a Roman Catholic problem. The unbiblical requirement of priestly celibacy and the organized conspiracy of silence within the hierarchy helped to explain the cesspool of child sex abuse that has robbed the Roman Catholic Church of so much of its moral authority. When people said that evangelicals had a similar crisis coming, it didn't seem plausible to me. It didn't seem plausible, even to me. I have been the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary for 25 years. I did not see this coming. I was wrong. The judgment of God has come. And he goes on to say more. This is a problem, not just for the Jews, but for Christians today. Are you what you do? 
for a different question to consider. What do you rely on? The reason why this is important, and we'll get to the second half of this passage in a moment. The reason why this is important is because from God's perspective, if you do the opposite of what you agree with, you don't know him. You don't know him. You are not going to stand before God and be able to say, my bad. Or to live a lifestyle that is completely opposite of what God says and just be like, cool. Hey, good to see you. Where's the fight? Where's the faith? Where's the struggle? We're not talking about sinlessness. That's impossible in this life. That's why we have hope in Jesus. We're not talking about failing. We're not talking about falling. We're talking about getting back up. He says this in verse 24. Here's the fruit of when people live lives like this. For the Jews, here was the fruit, and I believe it's the same thing. This is what Al Mohler alludes to later on in this article. He doesn't quote this verse, but here's the fruit of it when it happens. Verse 24. For it is written, quoting Ezekiel 36, 20 through 23. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The Jews were shredding the credibility of God's grace. And sadly, believers do the same thing. Christians do the same thing. The prophetic voice of the church has become the world. We've lost our saltiness in many ways. There was a time when people had at least a measure of respect for you because you were a Christian. Now they look at you with disdain. You know why? It might not even be because of you in particular, but they see the hypocrisy in what you believe. They see the hypocrisy in what we believe. They see the, the willful failures, the lack of humility, the arguing amongst one another. They see the, the sinful reaction to people's sinfulness and struggles. They see it. Now, on a personal level, they may see it in our lives. Especially on a relational level. This happens a lot on a relational level. If you're one who wasn't a Christian and then you come out of that world, but you still hang with people and they know you're a believer, this happens a lot. You're in, in this weird dynamic of, I mean, when I first got saved, I was straight out of the street. When I first got saved, I wanted to go back around those dudes. But some of the temptations that I had given, given into, like getting high and certain things, were still a part of who I was. And so when I would go back there, I would eventually fall in those ways. And I remember one day, I'll never forget, I remember one day sitting on the couch. It was Memorial Day Sunday, 15, 16 years ago, a long time ago. I was sitting on the couch beside this dude. He was a friend of mine. He was a, he was a younger guy than me named Amir. We were both getting high. 
and I remember as I'm smoking, like he wasn't, his name was Amir, and he was a Muslim, but he was a Muslim by birth, not by practice. And I remembered one time thinking like, man, I hit this thing, gave it to him, and I remember one time thinking, this is honestly what I thought, I was like, wow. I can't preach, I can't say nothing about the Lord to him right now because I've damaged my testimony. I remember thinking that way, and then eventually it just goes away. Monday night, the very next evening, at about 10 p.m., my man Big B, whose house that I was at, we were getting high, he said, man, Amir's dead. And I said, what happened? He said, he got shot in the face nine times. Now, this dude was a gangster for real. Bare-faced robbery, no mask, no gloves, gun out, give me what you have. I knew it was going to come back on him. And here I am the day before getting high with him and couldn't, couldn't, what, what could I say to him? I mean, you got to follow the Lord. He'd be like, for what? You're doing the same thing I'm doing. The name of God would be blasphemed among him because of what I was doing. After that happened, I was like, I'm done. That was it. I'm done with that. Because that's, I was a believer then. I was still new. I was early in my faith, but I was like, I can't do this. Like, I lost an opportunity. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of this behavior. This happens a lot in relational dynamics. I see many women wanting to be in relationships and get into sexual relationships with non-Christians in, in hopes to, to, to eventually convert them. But what happens is you end up walking away from the faith. I see this happen all the time. You get into these ungodly relationships, and you know what happens? You fall in love. Your heart gets attached. And then you feel trapped. There were times I had to sit in front of girls and tell them, you don't owe him anything. In this relationship, you don't owe that man anything. You owe the Lord everything. And in the moment, they will agree. And then continue in the same thing. Do not think for a moment that God is okay with that. There may be grace right now because you are here and breathing. That's to give you time to accept reality and deal with it, not to continue in it until it's too late. And I'll be honest with you, if you are in some kind of ungodly relationship with someone and it's romantic, and you think because they know you go to church that that means something to them, why would it? If they can have you any way they want you without you, when you go to church, what would make them want to come to church? For what? What would make a man want to come to church with me when we sharing a blunt together? We're doing the same thing. He like, well, shoot, if you go to church and you saved, then I must be saved too. Let me go. What would make him do anything different? You see, this is what Paul's after. Like for the Jews in this passage, he was like, look, your hypocrisy. Your hypocrisy is evident. 
And the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, because of your example. Sometimes people will meet with me and say, hey, man, I, I'm, you know, I work on a job. And how do you I handle it? Like if I sin against somebody on my job, They're, it's not a Christian environment. Like, what do I do? How do I handle that? Because like, I remember when I, when I was working in a non-Christian environment, I remember it being awkward, like if I sinned in anger or did something, I remember it being awkward because you'd walk up and say, hey, man, I just want to ask you for forgiveness. Oh, I mean, you're human, man. Who cares? man? That's what they would always say. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, oh, man, you're human, man. Don't worry about it. I would have got mad too. Shoot, as a matter of fact, you know, then you just go in and all that. Then you end up sinning again because you agree with them. I know, right? I should have said this right there. Hold on, wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. Just, the point was I'm trying to apologize for what I did say. You know, you just get caught up in that. So you think, what do I do in those moments? Let me tell you what I think we should do in those moments. I think we should be a Christian in those moments. Not because it demonstrates hypocrisy, but it demonstrates humility. Go back and say, even though they're going to say, like, man, I ain't tripping. I don't care, man. Don't worry about it, man. I get it. I mean, we human, man. I would have been like, you know what? I agree with you. I understand. Thank you for saying that. But you know what? There's something that I believe. There's, there's something I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. And because he died on the cross for me and has forgiven me, like, I'm trying to live my life a certain way. And I didn't do that. And I know, I know what you're saying. I thank you for saying, hey, don't worry about it. I, but I was wrong according to what I believe. And I, and I know I, I may be wrong again, but I want to make sure you know that this isn't how I'm supposed to live. And I want you to know if you see me acting, then tell me. Tell me if you think I'm being. That's humility. And that prevents them from seeing hypocrisy. But when you just do the same thing they do, don't be surprised if they don't want to come to our church. Why would they? Would you? Like, would you want to go to church if somebody was like, yeah, man, we going out. We got twisted last night. We were so drunk. We went to church Sunday. For what? Like that, it's just, it, it happens. You'd be surprised what people pay attention to. You'd be surprised. This happens every time I go to the barbershop. Most of them people there are not believers. And I go in there with my kids, and I'm from that environment. So if my barbershop is in D.C., my man who's been my barber for, since we were kids cuts my hair. My kids call him Uncle Rich. And it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's not a, it's not a, unchild, it's not a, like my, I can't bring my kids, it's not a dangerous environment, but it's a, it's, it's not a Christian environment. But I want my boys to see that. I want them to understand, especially so we can talk through that if there's something to talk through. But they clean it up when the kids come around. But when you're, when you're, when you're in that environment, <laughs> like they're just stuff that just comes up. And you just got to be like, okay, that's really funny, but I can't laugh at that. <laughs> like they'll say something just wow. And it's, it might not even be what they, you know how humor is, right? Sometimes I'll say stuff and y'all will laugh. I wasn't even being funny, but it was the way I said it. They'll just, it's certain things just come up or they'll, you know, or sometimes they might, they might take the Lord's name in vain and the way they said it, it just sounded funny in the context. And it's like, don't laugh at that. Don't laugh at that. Don't participate with that. You got to fight. Don't participate in that. Because they know who I am in there. Not everybody who's in there, but a lot of the barbers, they know me. Jokingly, they might call you Rev or something like that. Jokingly, I ain't no reverend, man. It's me, you know me. This is, you know, don't call me, call me Kurt. But they know that. 
the recording studio I go to. These people know I'm a pastor. The first time I went there, I, br I brought somebody else with me to sing on a song, and they told them I was a pastor. I didn't want them to do that. Because so the first time I was like, why is this dude acting weird? And then he, he cursed and was like, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I know you're a spiritual person. I'm sorry. I said, bro, you be yourself. Like, I'm not here to, I'm not holding you to a standard. Like, be yourself. You know, every time I go to the studio, me and that dude have the deepest conversations about his life. And I personally believe he's not far from the kingdom of God. When he says whatever, he goes to get high, come back, we record, we talk. He'll ask me questions. I'm honest with him. I'm honest with him. I even tell him some of the areas I struggle with, man. This is a, He's like, really? So how do you think through that? What about this? And he'll always ask me, hey, I was watching this thing. And I was like, all right, I can't wait to ask you. What do you think about this? So we talked for 40 minutes about this debate. And I was like, all right, man, I'm uh, supposed to be recording right now. I'm supposed to be. <laughs> give me a call, fam, you know. Give me a, give me a discount. But that's. <laughs> I didn't know if that armored the Lord, so I ain't say nothing. I just sat there and thought, all right, Lord, I'm a, this, this is the opportunity. I'm going to take it, but if we keep talking, I was going to lay hands on Danny. And, and the reality is that we have to make sure that this idea of relying, like what do you rely on? Are, are, are you, do you do what you do? Are you what you do? I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm not saying that you are or not. That's for you and the Lord to wrestle with. But what I'm saying is there is a reality about the Christian life and there's a reality about the grace of God. Like, why will God let people who are committed to rejecting him live 80, 90, 100 years, have good lives, have families and find real fulfillment? Why, would he, why does he let them do that? Why doesn't when we who know God when we sin against God or we got habits of bitterness or resentment or anger, why doesn't God just have stuff just come crashing down on us? I, know I used to think like that. I used to think like, oh, man, I'm, I'm probably going to get in a car accident today. Why doesn't God do that to us? Because he's patient. He's loving. He's merciful. And he wants us to grow so he's patient and when he brings consequences it's not because I no longer love you it's this is the only way I think you're going to respond so God's patience and mercy is not his acceptance and approval of sinfulness it's I'm going to give you time to humble yourself and then if you do not I'm going to humble you. If this is you, then sermons like this are an opportunity to humble yourself. And that's all of us should be asking, am I what I do? Am I what I do? Well, it would be interesting to try to squeeze the last couple of verses in here in five minutes.
Questions? If there are none, we're going to go to straight to communion. So, questions? Que is it the question? Yes. All right. How is it, like, my, for myself, I know I believed in eternal security and once they'd always say, but I also would have believed in that, but I also have um, been taught at the same time that while that is true, that never makes an excuse for sin. It makes us not, uh, not to be a lazy Christian or anything. So, and um, what is, how do you maintain, like, that one thing where you're trying to, um, where, like myself, I've always, like, I, I fall short, but I make sure, I always make that, distinction and determine in my mind that I'm going to try to start a new month where I'm not going to sin against God and I fall short and it's like how do I can tell whether that when I do fall short and I like see something I'm not supposed to look at or something like that and um, how do I you know like I try to question myself am I living hypocrisy or am I or is this falling short like how do I can tell the difference good question so hypocrisy is a lifestyle okay Hypocrisy is a lifestyle. So hypocrisy isn't, oh, man, I watched something I shouldn't watch today. Lord, please forgive me for this. Uh, hypocrisy is a lifestyle. So it's not, it's not every instant. I mean, sure, on one level, every instance you're doing what you're not supposed to do. But hypocrisy is the willful, the willful, the refusal to obey God, knowing what God commands. And then sometimes being one who advocates, who teaches, or who will tell others. Hypocrisy is a lifestyle. So this is why you got, so this is what we have to do is the promises of God are what we need in scripture. We need the Bible at times to help us. We need passages like 2 Peter 1, you know, particularly verses 8 through 10, you know, where it says if you, you know, whoever, if you do not grow in these qualities, he's so nearsighted that he has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his former sins. First uh, John 2, 1, little children, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. But if you sin, you're a hypocrite. That's not what it says. It says, know that you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ. Okay? So there are realities where we're all going to fail. God knows that. Like, the reason why we have faith in Jesus is because he, we know the standard is perfection. Jesus is the only one that can keep it. And so we're trying to honor the Lord. Right? The Lord is pleased by perseverance and by effort, endurance. Remember, remember John the Baptist. He was like, man, are you even the Lord? He baptized the Lord, right? And the Lord was like, Blessed is the one who's not offended because of me. So your failure is not, it's what you do with your failure. Does, does your, do you grow so comfortable in your sin that it becomes sort of a double life for you? Well, you come to church on Sunday, but when you leave here, you can't wait to get in front of your computer and spend whatever you're going to do or whatever relationship you're in or whatever. That's what God is talking about. That's what he's after. If that's you, then I think you should be concerned. But if you fail, then get back up, brother. You pray, you ask the Lord for help, and sometimes you need others. We, we need other people to help us. We need people to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need help. And some issues take way longer than others. It took me, it didn't take that long to not struggle with certain things that I brought from the street. But then there are other areas where it's like, man, this might be, this might be till I die. There are crosses that we all have to carry. Some of them, yeah, that was a point in my life, no longer struggle with that. Thank you, Lord. But then there are others Man, I might carry this cross until he says, that's it. I'm leaving my body now. I'm going up. So trust the promises of God. That's why we need his word. If you don't read the Bible, you're going to forget what it says. If you don't read the Bible, you're only going to try. You're going to filter what God, who God is through your experience and your feelings. 
That's how you're going to filter it. So when you don't feel like God loves you, you're going to believe that to be true. When you, when you, as if the scripture doesn't say approach the throne of grace with confidence. As if it doesn't tell us these things like, look, this is what God says. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. James 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If we don't use the actual Bible, this, one of the, this last thing I'll say there, one of the, the greatest to me demonstrations of that was when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. In Luke 4 and Matthew 4. This is the son of God, right? Jesus could have said anything he wanted to Satan. This is Jesus. This isn't like us. This is Jesus. And Satan tempts him, why don't you turn these stones of bread? And what does he say? He quotes scripture. Man does not live on bread alone. Then he says, uh, go to this highest mountain and, and, and throw yourself off. And then Satan quotes scripture. <laughs> Satan uses scripture. Don't act like he don't know the Bible. He quoted scripture. Psalm 91, 11 and 12. He quoted that to Jesus and said, he will protect you and carry you. And that might have been an accurate understanding of the Bible, mind you. But it wasn't supposed to be applied that way. Like the laying on of hands. Don't apply it when you choke with somebody. That's not biblical. You apply it when you pray for somebody. If you choke somebody, the Lord, the, the, get behind me, Satan. Don't say, Kurt said, Pastor said you can lay hands. No, I didn't. I did not. I did not to the cameras. I did not say that. But Jesus uses scripture. And I feel like sometimes we use distraction. Let me distract myself. Let me just commit. I'm just going to not do it. You just, we're not strong enough. So I need the promises of God to remind me, and I need to remember those things so that I have confidence to fight. Otherwise, I evaluate my relationship with God based on my subjective experience and how I think he is. And then once that continues to be sort of my relationship with God, then the Bible becomes a foreign reality. And God becomes a distant deity. And we live sort of subpar, mediocre lives. And we hope that his grace is amazing enough to say we're forgiven because at one point we were more faithful than we are now. May that not be how we think of the Christian life. Our crosses are heavy. But Jesus says his yoke is light. He helps us carry him. Any other questions? One more. Brittany, mother of two baby boys, twins. Good morning, Pastor Kurt. How you doing? Everyone. Um, how do you come back from um, hypocrisy? So let's say, so I have some friends who were strong in the faith, but they've been um, discouraged, mm -hmm. like, deeply by the things that you said that um, sometimes you look at just to see um, – if it has credibility or whatever, um, by those type of things and by just, like, the fallings of, like, great leaders and, you know, the stuff that happens in the Christian world, like, people are discouraged. Like, so when you have, like, friends who are literally, like, denying the faith now because of that hypocrisy, like, how do you respond to that? How do you, like, how do you do this? It's a good question. Well, everyone, people aren't monolithic in the sense of their personality. We're all monolithic in that we're human beings, right? But we're not monolithic in the sense that people's personalities are different and their motives for why they think that way are different. So there are going to be some people need more of a firm word. Like I know some people who have done that and walk away kind of arrogantly. And so when you do that, then I, then I think Hebrews 10, 26 through 31 need to inform your thinking. 
um, because you you just you're walking away from the faith. You're and you're you're brash about it, as if like someone else's faith is somehow connected to. But then I think for people who are just genuinely like struggling with certain things and fail like that, I think again we have to go to the scriptures, right? So we have to use particular verses that that got us one. Like our faithfulness is not connected. Like if I fail morally, if I fail, that may affect you because I'm your pastor. But if you walk away from the Lord because I failed, then your faith wasn't your own. If I fail, you better not. Because I I can fail. But that doesn't mean you have to. Your faith, your faith is not should not be in my maturity. It has to be in your own. And so if I fail, every leader in this church, then you can't have confidence in just us. Your confidence is in your relationship with the Lord. So, again, I would use, depending on who that person is and where they're at, I would use passages like um, uh, 2 Peter 1. I would use passages like um, a second, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. I, I want to I help people realize, like, look, this is, or I'd use, you know what else I'd do, too? I'd use Revelation. And particularly chapters 2 and 3, like, look at what Jesus is saying to, to the churches. Look at what he's saying. Like, perseverance is the forgotten word of the Christian life. Perseverance. Like when he says, Jesus says, whoever perseveres to the end. Like open up Revelation 21. Read verses 1 through 7. And then ask them to read verse 8. You know, there's this, they have to be informed by the Bible. Because this is, I've done, I've failed in this, right? I've thought, I need to convince this person of this. And then I realized I, don't, I lack the authority to do it. The spirit has to do that work in them. But I want to use where's the spirit at in his word. So I want to direct them back. So like I, I, I recently had a conversation. I was like, this, hey, so let me. So how would you. So, OK, I understand what you're saying. I thought like that. So how do you how do you compare that to what like the Bible says, like in this passage? Like you have to stand before God and give an account, like not them. Like do you all just depend, again, it depends on relationship. But like I've said to friends before, people that I'm, I'm saying, hey, so do you honestly do you honestly think. You're going to stand before the Lord and be able to say that Christians are hypocrites? Do you honestly, like, do you honestly, like, you're, I mean, are, are you not? Like, are you a hip, you know? So there are ways to go at it with people, and it depends on, you know, verses, different verses. But essentially, I think you want to remind people that, like, listen, like, you have to believe this because it's true for you. Like, salvation is corporate, but before the Lord, it's individual. Like, it's individual. Like, this is... This is, and again, I don't know your level of relationship with them, and so certain things I would say differently depending on the kind of relationship I have with them. But we got to always use the Bible. We have to always use the Bible. And then there's some people, and that doesn't always mean it's going to change. There are people, like even in this room, who just aren't tripping. No matter what I teach or whatever, or whatever people say, and it is what it is. My conscience is clear because I've said what I think I'm supposed to say. When you stand before the Lord, it's not going to be my fault if somebody who comes here and it's not going to be my fault, if, especially if I've said to you what I think I need to say. It's not going to be my fault. I'm not going to be measured by your, your, your refusal to do stuff because you don't care. You're not tripping. You ain't cool. Okay. Like I'm, I feel bad that you feel that way, but, but at some point it's got to be like, hey, here's what faithfulness looks like for you is help them, encourage them, pray for them, ask them to consider. And if they don't, they just say, all right. Sometimes what you can't say to people, you got to say to the Lord for them. And I think don't don't miss that. We miss that all the time because we're we're such a we're such a a, a, a soundbite society. Right. Everything happens so quick. 
Like I can pull out my phone and figure out what I need to do in a moment. Prayer doesn't work like that. God might be like, yeah, I'm going to answer this, but you're not going to see it answered for five years. You know, on my phone, if, you, if, it does, if my phone freezes up, what do I do? I shake it. <laughs> then if it doesn't work, then I, then I shut it off and reboot it because you're not working right. God is not a cell phone. We can't shake him and expect it to happen quickly. He ain't going to do that. But we can be, he's faithful, and we have to trust his faithfulness from what we've seen. So. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the last one. Just get to me afterwards. If, you think, if it's a good question, you think it's a good question? All right, go ahead, I'll let you ask it. <laughs> if you're a guest, I'm just messing with it. That's one, my dude. One, two, one, two. I'm messing with him. That's my guy. That's Banjo. I'm messing with him. Uh, real quick, I, I had a question. I've seen uh, many Christians either go to one of the two extremes of, um, you know, I'm a believer, and so I don't hang out with people who are not because I don't do the things they do. And many times when they actually come together, it's, you know, to point the fingers at them. Mm-hmm. But then I've seen the other side. I've seen many Christians also hang out with people who are not believers and conforming to what they're doing. And And I know... I struggle with one of the sides where, you know, sometimes I want to hang out with people who are not believers to love them and show them who, who Christ is. But then, you know, when they're doing some things that I know I shouldn't be doing, I, you know, it, it's hard for me to stay in that context. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you personally navigate through that? So it depends on the context. So, I, so again, I try to start with the Bible, right? So... I, and I don't, I don't use this in a facetious way, but Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners, right? That's, he hung with them folks. Like, he chilled. I don't think Jesus was, like, going to the club, like, you know, in that sense. But it's not like they was all, he was just there chilling. No, Jesus was purposeful in his time. And he did. He, he purposely spent time with people who needed to believe in him. And so did Paul and other believers. So, so it depends on the, the context or the context. Like, I'm going to... I'm in a conversation in an app in a conversation with friends that I went to high school with. There's four of us. Only two of us are Christians. And two of my non-Christian friends, one of them more than the other, he's very vulgar. He'll send you like a picture that you're like, oh man, come on, bro. Because that's just how he is. And there are times where I purposely won't engage in the con because I can see the notification on my phone. I can see what's being said. So I'm just not gonna engage in the conversation. So they'll be like, man, you don't talk for days. And I'll just be like, man, because the stuff y'all talk about, I don't, wanna, don't put these pictures in here, bro. Like, we're not, we not all doing that stuff. So there are ways that I will not, but I don't take myself out of it. But it, there really is no formula, bro. It really is a, I got to trust the spirit here with this. So I may go hang out with these folks. Like, I did a wedding last year. Um, I was photographing a wedding, and, uh, and it was my boy, it was my man from the hood. Like, we, you know, I was photographing the wedding. I actually married them. I married them and then did the photography for their wedding. And so it was like, so it was right, it was kind of wild. So it's me and Haruna. Where's Haruna? Haruna was there. Haruna was there. Adrian's husband. Haruna, me and Haruna. And Josh was there too. CB was there helping out. But we did the wedding. It was last year or two years ago. And so this, for me, it's like the who's who of some of the gangsters I used to be around. And then, and then there was a group of guys that I was like, man, these are my dudes. And so we just started talking and laughing. And as we're remembering certain stuff, some stuff I laughed at, some stuff I didn't. And then, um, but then we were like, hey, let's get the swap numbers, let's get together. But I knew there were two or three of them that were just gone. And they were thinking like, oh man, my oh, man is back, like let's get back up. And I could tell by that. So when they called me 
after the wedding, I, one guy made a choice. Listen, I'm not going to answer the call. I wish I could say, hey, man, I answered it and led him to the Lord. I was like, I ain't going to answer the call because I just know where he's at. And I, I'm just not going to engage in that. Like, I'm in such a different place right now. I don't even want to deal with that. But then in other situations, it's like, hey, hey, I'd love to get up with you, man, talk to you. Why don't you come over to my house? I'd love you to meet my family, stuff like that. So I think there really is no formula. I think it really depends on, one, what does your wife think? Like, there's certain situations my wife just doesn't want me to be a part of. And so I'm like, okay. But then there's certain situations like, all right, babe, I, you know, I'm going here for this, you know. I want to hang with these dudes for this. But it depends on what they're doing. Like, that, as a matter of fact, the bachelor party for that wedding, they was like, man, you coming? I was like, where y'all going? And they said the location. I was like, nah, fam, I'm not going to that bachelor party. I was like, nah, man, I ain't going to that joint. They was like, come on. I was like, nah, fam, I'm not going to that joint, man. I said, you know, but I see y'all the wedding, though. I see y'all the wedding. I was like, nah, I'm not going there, man. I'm not having my wife lay hands on me. I was like, no way. I was like, no. So, it's, yeah, it's a balance, man. The Christian life is not, if, look, <laughs> if it were supposed to be like, it would be 10,000 pages if it was trying to tell us how to live. The reason why we live by faith is because sometimes we make decisions that we think honor the Lord, and, we, and that's what we're doing. If it were like, if he wanted us to know how to do every single thing, then it would be a 10,000-page book. It would be a ton of people just like, okay, how to do it. Like, think about this last thing I was like, think about this. Parenting, right, is a major thing in the Bible. It's a major thing in our lives. It is very small in the Bible. In terms of verses directly on parenting, I think you have more verses on, like, particular sin issues than you do on parenting in the scriptures. So when people come out with these big books, I'm like, where are you getting all that info from? There's like five verses in the Bible that talk about parenting. One of them says, fathers, do not embitter your children. So can mothers embitter their children? I mean, it's just like, what does that mean? Why is it only the fathers? Like, do the mothers not make the kids angry? Like, okay, okay, the scripture says I can't do nothing but shake him up and tell him that, you know, you're not going to do that, right? So there's just, so there's, so how does God want us to be? So some of this stuff isn't just laid out for us. We have to use wisdom. We ask others what they think. And then we do what we think honors the Lord. And he's faithful to that. And that's what we get rewarded for. It's, that's, it's, it's faith, not sight. Some things are just like, man, do what you think. Do what you think honors the Lord. Based on what you know of the scriptures, based on what you know of the situation, what do you think honors the Lord? So we can talk more about that afterwards because um, uh, thank you, Nahali. I appreciate you, brother. Let's have a hand for this brother. Man, this brother's always giving the mic, man. The dude right here, man. Become my new Oprah, man. Just taking the mic out and just giving it to you. Too bad I can't say, you got a car, and you got a car, and you got a car. So at this point in time, we, we do, um, we do what, we, what, we, what is called the Lord's Supper Communion, and this is what we do this every Sunday. And we're grateful to do this, to do this because this brings us back. No matter what we've talked about, this brings us back to the, remembering the main thing. We remember the main thing, which is Christ's sacrifice, his life, death, and his resurrection. Without that, we have nothing. We will rely on laws and rules and all kinds of stuff. Next week, we'll look at how, what do we rely on? What do we rely on? Because there's a phrase, it's a neon phrase in the next passage that we were supposed to get to today, but I was rambling. So it happens, sue me. Actually, you can according to Corinthians. But what, we'll, <laughs> what we want to do is just take a moment and reflect this. Even though the, the guitar is, is somber, 
slow, it's low key. We don't, our attitudes don't have to be one of sadness. Like this is, this is, Jesus didn't say be sad. I'm not making fun of Juan, I'm just saying he's not supposed to be, it's it's smooth what he's playing, you know. I heard the self-righteous snicker back there, like I'm hip, you know. Told you if I was one body part, I'd be a hip. I'm hip, I heard it. So um, if you're a guest, I'm really just joking right now. I'm really on my game right now. but we do do this. We do this in, in joyful memory. When Jesus said this to the disciples, it was a, it was he was it was before he was going to die. But he wanted them to remember what this what this means. Remember this particular sacrifice. And so we do this every Sunday where we take uh, uh, communion, where we take a small uh, whatever it is, and we eat that. It represents the bread, and then we have juice that we drink that represents his blood. And we do this so that we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Because no matter where we're at, if we profess to believe in Jesus, then by that sacrifice, that's what we're relying on. When you stand before the Lord, and if he says, why should, you, why, why should I let you into heaven? And the Father says that in Revelation 20, and you say, because I believed in him. If you say, well, Lord, I did this, this, and that, and, wrong answer. It's because I believe in Jesus Christ, and he knows that. And so today, in this moment, we will take this in memory of him. If you are not a Christian and you, you, you may be here, we're grateful that you're here, but you do not believe in Jesus, no shame to you. You've heard stories of my life. There were times I didn't believe in the Lord either. And so you don't have to be ashamed of that. But, but this, is, this part of the, the church service is only for those who believe in Jesus. So if you do not believe in him, then we just ask you to pass the tray beside you without any shame. But I will be here, Mike. Uh, another pastor who's here, the other pastor who did the announcements, he'll be here, and there are other people. Uh, leadership team guys, raise your hands. Team guys, raise your hand. Deacons, raise your hands. Okay, these guys, anyone, anyone's here, we, we'd love to talk to you about, about why we, what it means to follow Jesus. But if you do not believe in him, please pass this tray. For those of us that do, that do let's, let's take this and remember what Jesus has done for us. I just can come forward. <laughs> 